So this evening I'd like to talk about, uh, this morning, uh, we talked about uh, tongues. Was uh, We wasn't talking about tongues, but it was actually uh, in our lesson this morning. But uh, we were talking about different gifts in the church and, and so forth, in the body, and tongues was one of them. So, uh, and we're not going to... to make a complete study of, of everything on that. But what I would like to touch on is the uh, cloven tongues of fire. And we will look at that, but it talks about cloven tongues of fire. And I'll ask, is that a good thing? And where we'll first read, you say, well, yeah, that's a good thing. And but a lot of times, cloven is, is divided. And we can read a lot of places where that's not good. Uh, fire, uh, we can read of, of that in, in different ways. It can be for destruction and so forth. So cloven tongues of fire, uh, is it good? Is it not good? And what is it? We want to understand what it is. So, uh, in Acts, the second chapter, and reading it here, you'll say, well, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good thing. But we'd like to understand and, and uh, ask some questions and maybe answer some questions as well. So, Acts chapter 2, uh, and this is talking about the day of, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And uh, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. So we know from reading from this scripture, well, yes, it's, it's a good thing. But do we understand how this is a good thing? Cloven tongues as a fire. I know uh, there are some religions that thinks it's just a gibberish kind of thing. And uh, somebody else is supposed to understand what that was. Uh, I and some people maybe been exposed to that a little more. I only one time, uh, somebody used to work for me, and, and I think this was on a Monday or something. And actually, I'd taken them home, and all of a sudden, I heard this noise come from the house, and I was ready to call nine one one. It was terrible, and it was his wife up there, supposedly speaking in in tongues, a fire. So what, what is it? We see, I mean, here at Acts, it's for the first church. We know it's a good thing. But closing, cloven tongues of fire, you know, what, what is it? Again, uh, cloven means divided, separated. It's what it means. And fire, it can mean, uh, well, actually in this case, it means uh, light, cast light on, lighting, but it can mean, you know, it can mean destruction. It can mean a lot of different things. But if, if we just took this out of 
out of uh, this context here, I guess, and just read that about cloven tongues of fire set on them. What's, what would be some of the thoughts that would go through your head? Well, one of the first thoughts would go through my head, cloven, separated. I think a serpent. Or, as the Native Americans used to say about the white man, they speak with a forked tongue. So if he took us away from here and just said cloven, divided tongues, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Serpent has a split tongue, divided, cloven. Uh, and, uh, well, again, I think a lot of people speak with a forked tongue now, as the Native Americans would say. But, but it, it would bring negative thoughts to me. And one of our members, we was talking about, she's not here this evening, we was talking about, she says, well, fire makes me think of Satan. So if you take all this away from there and, and all these thoughts come, uh, yes, we see it here, we know what has to be good, but what does it mean and, and how uh, is, it, is it good? So uh, this cloven or divided, uh, you can read it is negative in a lot of places. I won't go back there, but in, you know, the cloven foot. This was an unclean beast. Cloven foot that uh, uh, chewed the could. This was an unclean beast. So it's divided. This was, this was a, well, we say unclean. So we'll say kind of a, a bad thing. Unclean. And uh, so then our cloven tongues a good thing. Cloven foot was unclean. So cloven tongue unclean? Speaking lies, untruths? Cloven like a serpent's tongue? All these thoughts would, would come to mind. Uh, cloven divided we can read in the scriptures. Uh, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Divided. That's a, a negative thing. Uh, we won't go back there, but you're familiar with it. In, in Genesis, the, in the, uh, the tower, we call it the Tower of Babel. So they were out there and... Uh, in this plane, and I never did understand this either. I guess there's something to study there. But whenever they built this Tower of Babel, of course, they wanted to build a tower even unto God. They wanted to make a name for themselves. But I would start on the mountain. You know, I wouldn't start down the plane. Anyway, that's just a crazy thought that I have. But anyway, so they were there, and they were building this tower, and they had the bricks and the mortar and they were very fruitful in this work. And I don't understand everything about it. But I know what was in their heart. It tells us, well, let's make a name for ourselves. So that tells us a lot uh, about today, even today. People want to give themselves honor and glory, make a name for themselves. But anyway, if we look at it on a natural sense, they were building this tower and they were very fruitful in their work. 
So the Lord went down and confused their language, divided their language, where they did, all didn't understand each other. And they were no longer fruitful in their work. So the Lord divided their language. So is this cloven tongue, divided tongue, is it, is it a good thing? Again, from where we read, we know it is. But the Babel, there at the, uh, at the Tower of Babel, they were fruitful. And he divided their tongue. They were no longer fruitful. So that, that couldn't be what this is talking about here in Acts. But yet we want to understand. So in, uh, back in Acts in the second chapter here, uh, let me read a few more verses. We read the first three. There appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire as it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. So is this some kind of gibberish that nobody understands? We'll see it's the opposite of that. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in his own tongue wherein we were born? So this is the opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, they had one language, and he divided it, and uh, they were no longer fruitful. Well, here, the language... They spoke, but yet it was divided to where they all heard in their own tongue. And I heard somebody say, well, the, uh, the miracle wasn't in the speaking, it was in the hearing. Well, I believe it was in both. I believe it was in the speaking and the hearing. Uh, I don't think they were just speaking regular, and, there was a, and everybody heard it in their own tongue. Uh, because it says over in verse 15, it says, uh, For these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it was, a, uh, it was but the third hour of the day. So they didn't know what was going on. They were speaking in their own language. But everybody heard. or they were, Yeah, they were speaking. They were Galileans. They spoke in their language. But everybody, everybody heard. And uh, uh, went to the uh, United Nations. And uh, so back then, you had the, the seats, and there was a little earphone here with a wire. And if you sat in the Japanese section, you put that on there, and somebody would be interpreting into Japanese. And you sat in uh, German section, and somebody would be uh, interpreting to where whoever was speaking, you heard in your own language. Now I'm sure they got more up-to-date stuff and everything. But I, I kind of uh, like to, to think of that. Everybody heard in their own language. So that's what happened here. They spoke. They were Galileans. But they spoke. And every man heard in their own language. So 
we can see, although it doesn't say cloven tongues here, but we can see the dividing in a good sense. They were all different, said every nation, and had all these different languages. But the word, the, the, the uh, well, we'll say, yeah, I'll say the word, when spoken, although it was Galileans, but they all heard, it was divided, and they all heard in their own tongue. So we see the cloven part there, the dividing part there, that was in a positive thing and not a negative thing. <coughs> uh, So this was the opposite of what happened at Babel, of course. Uh, so here, uh, they all heard in their own language, and they were become fruitful then. So this is talking about on the day of Pentecost. And when the comforter was given, we talk about the comforter a lot, and we'll talk about some more this evening. But without the comforter, without the comforter causing us to hear it, causing the scriptures to be broken up in a way where we can hear it, cloven, divided, there would be no fruit without the comforter. And we talk so much about the comforter. Uh, John 14, 15, 16 talks about the comforter. He'll send, bring all things to remember what I've said to you. It'll lead, guide, and direct into all truth. But without the comforter, you have nothing to lead, guide, and direct into all truth. But that was the comforter that was put in the church on the day of Pentecost. Came as a sound of mighty rusty wind. The only time it was actually given. After that, it was passed from church to church. But, uh, so this, this uh, comforter, that again, we, well, we talked about one body, but the importance of a church, we've been talking about some. And the comforter is placed in the church. And there, it's broken up to where we can hear, we can understand. Uh, well, let, let me go to the 16th chapter of uh, John. You know, it'd be nice to go to the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapter, but we won't have time to do that. But the 16th chapter and uh, verse 7. So I want to I tie the, the hearing, uh, the truth, and, and understanding and being fruitful with the comforter because we see that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Every man heard in their own tongue. Then they were fruitful. So in chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So he's talking about the comforter. And we can see the value of it. We, uh, again, if we'd read all three chapters there, but we can see the value. And he said, it's expedient for you that I go away, that I send this comforter. And that's what we read about in Acts on the day of Pentecost, when the comforter came as a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Then they all heard. They were Galileans that spoke, but they all heard. They all understood in their own tongue. So it was divided in, in a good sense that each would hear and understand. Uh, 
verse 13. Uh, Nevertheless, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever or whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So this, this comforter that came on the day of Pentecost, and that's when they all heard. It was divided to where they could all hear in their own tongues. They could understand. The opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Back there, he divided the language, and they were no longer fruitful. But this is, this is the opposite of that. That the language was divided, but it was divided in a positive sense where they could understand. Now, so here, in, still in the 16th chapter of John, we read uh, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And, of course, he was telling his disciples he was going away and so forth. But then verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And let me take a couple minutes on that. When he comes, so when the comforter comes, it's listing some things he'll do here. It's going to reprove the world. We know there are a lot of different worlds, and I'll not get into that too much this evening, but there are, so the particular world here, he'll reprove this particular world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Reprove means admonish, convict, or convince. So this comforter, some of the things it's going to do when it comes, we know it's going to come and, and the word going to be divided where we can understand it. One thing it's going to do is reprove this world, this particular world, of sin. Convict it of sin. Convince it of sin. So now this Holy Spirit, this comforter, these cloving tongues has come. Has he convicted you of sin? Has he convinced you of sin? That's one of the things that it will do. It says it will reprove, and that word reprove means admonish, convict, or convince. So one of the things it says, reprove the world, convince the world of sin. And again, uh, we know that's not the whole world without exception. It's talking about the world of his elect. But that's what he'll do. It convince them of sin. So has, have you been convinced of sin? Have you convicted of sin? Uh... Verse 7 again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Convict. Convince. 
So we're talking about the Holy Spirit as the abiding comforter that was given on the day of Pentecost. Does he convince of sin? Have you been, so this, this is a past event now. The comforter has come. One of the things he's going to do is reprove this world of sin. Convince it of sin. Convict it of sin. Are you, have you been convicted, convinced of sin? Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore has by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So have you been convinced or convicted that you're a sinner because Adam? Adam fell, and sin were all the sins of Adam and Eve and we're all sinners. Have you been convicted or convinced of that? Uh, some have not been convicted or convinced of that. Now, everyone that the Father gave the Son will be convicted, convinced of that. Uh, Saul of Tarsus. In time, he was convicted, convinced of sin, but he, he wasn't from the beginning. And uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, whenever he was struck down, and uh, well, he tells us... He, he, in Philippians chapter 3, he tells us about the before and after. Before he was struck down, after he was struck down. So before he was struck down, he thought his sin, he thought the way to glory was avoiding the literal sin through the Mosaic law. He thought that's, that's the way to glory. But uh, in this third chapter, in verse 4, he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Well, let's read verse 3 maybe. Or 2. Uh, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He said, so we can talk about circumcision, which he will, but we're the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh of keeping the Mosaic law. So then now he talks about uh, his way he was before. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath reason of which he might trust in the flesh, I got more. If anybody wants to have a competition, he said, I've got more reason than all of you to trust in the flesh. He's not telling them to trust in the flesh. He said, but if anybody has reason to, I do. And, this, and look what he used to believe in. Verse 5. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is a law blameless. So here he was, he trusted in his genealogy, and he trusted in his righteousness in the law of Moses, the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. There's a difference, letter of the law, spirit of the law. But he had trusted in his righteousness in the letter of the law. And that was, uh, that was before he was convinced, convicted of sin. So when he was brought under the leadership of the comforter, then there was a big change. He was convicted. He was convinced of sin then. Uh, so then he says in verse uh, 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Big change. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things loss, but for the excellency and the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, but to count them but dung, refuge, manure, that I may win Christ. So now he had been convinced and convicted of sin. What he was living in, he, he wasn't looking to Christ. He was looking to his own self-righteousness. He was looking to genealogies back to Abraham and, and of Israel and so forth. So, and the scripture says, uh, avoid foolish questions about genealogies and the law. I can't think of the scripture. But it tells us that. Avoid foolish questions about genealogies and the law. Well, Paul used to trust in the law and genealogies. That was, he thought that was the way. When he, the Lord blinded him, brought him to a church... He was baptized. He was under the leadership of the comforter then. Uh, and then he was, the comforter reproved him. Repro uh, yeah, reproved him, convicted him, convinced him of sin. So what he had been living in, he wasn't looking to Christ. He was looking to self. His righteousness in the law of Moses. Even genealogies. But he wasn't looking to Christ. So the comforter uh, reproved him, convinced him of sin. Now he sees what, he says, what things were gained to me. Oh, one time he was so proud of those things. Is he proud of them now? Does he boast in now? Or is he convinced now, oh, that was sin. When I was trusting in my own righteousness in the law, when I was trusting in genealogies, that was sin. And the comforter reproved him, reproached, uh, reproved him, convicted him. Oh, that was sin. And now what does he have to say about it? Oh, what things were gained to me. I can't loss for Christ. So now he's looking to Christ before he was looking to the flesh. But the comforter led, guided, and directed him. Uh, and it says, well, back uh, in our text, it said, uh, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness. 
So reprove of sin, convince or convict of sin, which he did for Paul. And now it says also it will uh, reprove or convict or convince of righteousness. So has he convicted you of righteousness? Now Paul, when he was Saul, he wasn't convicted convinced of righteousness he thought it was his righteousness in the law self-righteousness but now afterwards no i can't all that is done that's not my righteousness uh and uh let's see well go back to romans the third chapter again uh romans three actually haven't been a three and uh, 21 so, uh, written here, penned by Apostle Paul, or somebody he may have dictated to. Uh, so, now what we're looking at, this comforter, it's going to convict or convince of sin. It did that to Saul Tarsus. But, did it, did it convict or convince him of righteousness? Well, before he thought his righteousness was in the, law, the letter of the law. So here, Romans 3 and 21. So we want, what is, where is our righteousness? Is it in the letter of the law of Moses? In verse 21, he says, But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So now, he was convinced about the righteousness of God. Before, he wasn't convicted of it. He wasn't convinced of it. He thought it was through the letter of the law. And now, after being led by the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, now he's convicted. He's convinced of the righteousness of God. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law. He didn't see that before. He looked at his righteousness in himself. But now he says, but now, and he, we could go on, we could... Maybe put a little more in there. But now, since I've been brought into the body where the comforter dwells, now I see I've been convinced, convinced, convicted of God's righteousness. I've been convicted of that now. It's no longer what I thought it was. I thought it was my righteousness through the law. But now I've been convinced and convicted that it's not. But this is a, uh, I always thought this was, I'm not sure the word to use, how, how this, let me, let me just get my point across without trying to put it into words, I guess. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is manifest. So now, this wasn't always manifest to Paul. In fact, it wasn't even always manifest. It was a hidden mystery. But it said, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, it's manifested. Now, it's revealed. It's manifested. Now, before, it was a mystery, hidden things. But he said, now, after, under the leadership of the Comforter, that's going to uh, reprove and convince and convict of righteousness, he says, now, this righteousness of God, apart from the law, is manifested wasn't always manifested. It was hidden. It was a mystery. 
And then, and then it says, it says, being witnessed. And if we have a, well, I started to say a, a crime or something, we have witnesses. Or maybe a football game, and, and maybe a referee's going to make a, a bad call. Well, we got tape. We can back and Now, this is a witness. His foot was on the line, so he was out of bounds. So, witnessed. So this says, the fact that the righteousness of God is apart from the law, there's a witness to that. Is there videotape? No. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the, the letter of the law of Moses is a witness to the fact that God's righteousness is not through the law of Moses. And the prophets prophesied about Jesus Christ. That was the way God's righteousness, the, the prophets prophesied of Jesus Christ. So they are, the prophesying of Jesus Christ are witness that God's righteousness is apart from the law. It's through Jesus Christ. Uh... So back, well, and John, I'm going back to John 16 one more time, maybe. When it says, uh, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Has he convinced you of sin? And he will reprove the world of righteousness. Has he convinced you of the righteousness of God? It's apart from the law. And then it goes on another point, and of judgment. So when he's come, he will reprove the world of sin. He'll reprove the world of righteousness. He'll reprove the world of justice. Has he reproved you of uh, judgment? Has he convinced you of judgment? That's what it says when the comforter comes. That's, that's what he'll do. So when you're placed under the leadership of the comforter, as, as Paul was, this is some of the effects that's going to take place. It'll, it'll reprove of sin. It'll convince of sin, where sin came from, what sin is. Saul didn't know it. Paul did. It will reprove the world, or, and, and of righteousness. It will reprove the world of righteousness. It will convince the world of righteousness. Paul wasn't convinced or convicted when he was Saul. But when the Lord brought him out of darkness into the marvelous light of the church, then he was convicted and convinced righteousness through Jesus Christ. And then it says, and of judgment. Has he convicted you of judgment? Has he convinced you of judgment? Uh, in John 16 and 11 of judgment because prince of this world is judged so the question we're looking at 
as being part of the body and brought into the body of Christ under the leadership of the comforter that will convict and convince of sin, of righteousness, and it will convince and convict of judgment. Have you been convicted, convinced of judgment? If you talk to a lot of the religious world, they're terrified. Terrified of the lake of fire. I used to be terrified of the lake of fire. In fact, it might be a good example. At one time, I wasn't convicted and convinced of God's judgment. Now, I was looking at judgment. I was looking at myself. And I thought, I can't, I can't do all those things. So at that time, was I convicted of judgment? Was that the comforter convicting me, convincing me that my judgment was going to be, well, you know, if you're good enough to go to heaven, if you're bad, you go to the other place. Was that the comforter convicting me, convincing me of that? Have you been convinced of judgment? Well, let me read verse 11 again. Of judgment... Because the prince of this world is judged. That's the judgment. And when, the, when it says prince of this world, it's not talking about Satan. It's talking about Jesus Christ. The prince of this world is judged. And let's go to John 12. And uh, let's see. John 12 and verse... 31. So this comforter is going to convince and convict this particular world of judgment. Have you been convicted of judgment? We, convicted of sin. We know Saul was sinning against God. As he, he wasn't looking to Christ. He was trusting his own righteousness. Then we see he was he wasn't, and early on, he wasn't uh, convinced of God's righteousness. He thought it was himself. Later, then he was convinced and convicted of God's righteousness. But now, what about judgment? Have you been convicted, convinced of God's judgment? Uh, John 12 and 31 Now is the judgment of this world. And it's talking about a particular world, brother, sister. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And it's not talking about Satan. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Now is the judgment. And the prince of this world be cast out. He would, uh, uh, so, well, let me read a little more. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So when he said, now's the judgment. A lot of people are looking... Oh, I'm going to go 
And whenever I pass in this world, I'm going to be judged and I might be sent to the lake of fire. You that are Jesus Christ's sheep, he said back here, now's the judgment. Not then, we've already been judged. But we're judged in Jesus Christ. And he paid the price. Yes, we were found guilty. We were judged and found guilty. But the judgment came on Jesus Christ. So the comforter, it will convince of sin, what it was. It will convince of righteousness, God's righteousness. And it will convince of judgment. I have been judged. You have been judged. We're all, well, we could go back to, to uh, uh, Romans again, fifth chapter. We've all been judged. We're all guilty of sin. But the judgment came on Jesus Christ. So when it talks about uh, the comforter, it will reprove, it'll convince of sin, it'll convince of righteousness, and it'll convince of judgment. Have you been convinced that you've been judged but Jesus Christ was the one that the judgment came on. So that's what the comforter does. So this penalty of sin and death, the judgment has come. It says, by one man disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The obedience of that one, Jesus Christ, the judgment, now's the judgment. Judgment's already passed on him. And he paid the price for our sins. And the comforter, that's one of the things it does. It convinces us of this. Uh, you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, the Lord himself says, now's the judgment. Now is the judgment. The prince is cast out. And again, he was not talking about Satan. Now's the judgment. Isaiah chapter 53, boy, we see a, a, a pretty clear picture of the judgment. Brother Olson, you say the gospel of Isaiah, and I like that. We know where to go to, didn't we, Sandy? We go to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah when he said go to the gospel of Isaiah. So our, our Lord himself said, now's the judgment. Now I realize there's the judgment seat of Christ. I understand that. But you know how I look at that? That's an awards banquet. Judgment seat of Christ. But, so have you been convinced of, of uh, judgment? And our Lord himself says, now's the judgment. Now's the judgment. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So has he, has the Holy Spirit convinced you of judgment? Our Lord himself 
Now's the judgment. And went on to say how he would be crucified and lifted up and everything. Now's the judgment. Has he convinced you that your judgment was on Jesus Christ? There we can have peace. We can have comfort. We can have assurance. So, uh, when the Comforter came, gave us an understanding, and convinced us of this judgment. Now's the judgment. And Jesus Christ is speaking about him taking the penalty and going to the cross. That was, that was your judgment. Yes, we were guilty. But that was the judgment. And it came on Jesus Christ. And, and, and there in Isaiah it said, uh, the judge was satisfied. Judgment was passed, and he paid, and the, and the penalty was on him, and the judge was satisfied. So, uh, when the Comforter comes and convinces us of this, of sin, of righteousness, of God's righteousness, and of judgment, so these are the, the cloven tongues that cause us to understand. It's, it's, it's divided in a way that you'll see, and you'll see, and you'll see, and we understand. So that was what the comforter did. Uh, but without the comforter, without this cloven tongues of fire that we would understand, without the comforter, there, we don't have that understanding. We're not convinced of what sin and where sin came from. We're not convinced of it's God's righteousness. We're not convinced of the judgment was on him. Without the comforter, we're not convinced of that. Is there any fruit there? Is there any fruit in the God? If we're looking at, at, at fleshly things and we're looking at our righteousness and so forth, is there any fruit in the God there? And the answer is no, not fruitful. Uh, I think we'll go to Matthew chapter 13. To, it gives us, I think, a good example of this. Matthew 13. As far as uh, everybody understand, or God's elect understanding in their own tongue. And uh, in Matthew 13 and verse 10... The disciples asked the Lord a question. Lord, why, why do you speak in parables? And, and that, was a, that was a good question. That's a question that I would ask. I, I could have said, maybe if we, uh, well, if there was a, a person giving a lecture or something, maybe, well, one time I was, a, I was at a world Bedbug conference, the first world bedbug conference. And yeah, it was, but anyway. So we had this person from England over there. And uh, yeah, I can think of many other examples better than that now. But anyway, he was doing all this and, and using uh, uh, Celsius instead of Fahrenheit. And people's asking questions well, what, what, what is that? How many degrees is that in Fahrenheit? It's this much Celsius, and just deliberately would not do it. I could have went and said, listen, these folks aren't understanding you. I went to another training, and this is probably a better example. This man, he sounded like an auctioneer. I mean, you couldn't understand him. 
So during break, several sitting around, they said, could you understand him? I said, about every sixth or seventh word, I, I can't really understand him. And uh, could have got him aside and said, listen, why are you speaking so fast like this? And, uh, well, to tell you the rest of the story, or part of the story, so some of them had more nerve than me. They went back in and said, could you slow down a little bit? We're having trouble understanding. Then he went mockingly slow. I mean, just mockingly slow. And then he went back to his regular speaking fast. And I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write the president of the company and just tell him about this guy. Then I found out he was the president, so I didn't write the letter. But anyway, I could have went inside and said, listen, they're not understanding you. You're speaking too fast. I wasn't brave enough. Somebody else did, and it didn't work for them, so I'm glad I didn't. But here, the disciple says, why are you speaking in parables? These people don't understand you. We understand you, but they don't understand you. And, and that's something that I would have said too, no doubt. But his answer is the hard answer for the world, the religious world. He answered said to them, because it's given to you. In other words, this is divided up where uh, cloven tongues where you will understand it. Yes, you understand it. You admit it. You understand it. It's divided up to where you will understand it. But to them, it's not given. And he goes on and said, and because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We talked earlier, a lot of this stuff was Jesus Christ was a mystery for years, but now he's here. It's given you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not given. They don't have the comforter that convinces of sin and righteousness and judgment. Said so it's, not, it's not given to them. And that's a, that's a tough one to understand for many. I, I, I realize that. But I'm not going to enter in, by God's grace, I'm not going to enter into judgment with him. I say, well, Lord, you know, you should have done it differently. By God's grace, I'm not going to do that. Whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. One of the scriptures says, even that he seemeth to have, and I like that as well. Therefore speak I to them in parables. And again, this is a hard saying for many. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. It, wasn't, it was divided for his elect to see and hear, but not for everyone. It was confusing to them. They won't see uh, what sin is. They won't see God's righteousness. They won't see God's judgment. He didn't want them to. Now, we can't take the attitude, well, he don't want them to see it. Because we can look at different individuals and say, well, he don't want them to see it. Now, we don't know that in his own time because I didn't always see it and you didn't always see it. So we don't want to go with that attitude. Well, they'll never see it. Sometimes we may think that. We may be right, but we don't know that. So we don't treat them that way. Okay. Therefore, at 13, I speak to them in parables because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. So those, uh, he 
they spoke with cloven tongues. It was divided to where they all could see and hear and understand. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, these some, they couldn't see, hear, and understand. It was all about the comforter that leads, guides, and directs into all truth. That will reprove the world uh, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. It will convince them. 15, for this people's heart has become gross, and the ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Again, it's, that's a tough one. But we don't come into judgment with God. This is what... I've talked to people... And they said, that's not fair. It's not fair that he would call some to see and hear and others not. That's not fair. You know how I look at it? Thank you, Lord, that you have caused me to see. You have caused me to hear. You've caused me to understand because I don't deserve it any more than they do. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. That's how I view it. Not, it's not fair. By God's grace, we'll never say that God's not fair. In fact, we don't want fair on us, do we? <laughs> More reminds us uh, all times that I'm thankful for. God judges according to thy mercy, not according to my merit. I don't want fair. I don't want righteous judgment on me. Okay. Uh, 15, and it should be converted, I should heal them. So he don't want them to be converted. He don't want them to be healed. But blessed are your eyes. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. So, on the day of Pentecost, his elect sheep, they saw, and they heard. Those cloven tongues were spoken, and there were different languages, different nations, but they all heard. So, it was broken to where, it was divided to where they would see, they would hear, they would understand. And that's what he's saying here to his disciples. I speak in parables so you'll see, you'll hear, you'll understand, but they won't. They won't be converted, and I won't heal them. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear the things which ye hear, and have not heard them. In the Old Testament... They, they was in darkness. Well, they were still mystery. They didn't see and, and didn't hear. Many righteous men. So, does that make you feel blessed? Not, not above anybody else, but does that make you grateful? Well, I'm no more deserving than anybody else. But God places where the comforter is. The word divided where each of us will see, hear, and understand. Uh... So, well, looks like we've got a little long. So, as we look at these cloven tongues, divided tongues, yes, it's a good thing. We can see cloven is bad in some places and so forth, but we can see here that it's a good thing. Now, we didn't get through it. It said cloven tongues of fire. So, uh, what was that? Again, one person said, when I think of that, I think of Satan. So, uh, Lord willing, maybe we'll bring this up again. Uh, we didn't get to it tonight. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word.
we're dismissed.